All right. Hello to our Real Talk people. Welcome to Real Talk, an HR podcast where we bring the best of human resources to your organization or right now to your home. I am Maria Rodriguez. I'm actually here with my partner, Michelle Elder, today. And on today's podcast, we are, we are going to talk about and going to address a topic that continues to be discussed in the world today ever-changing, continuously ever-improving and ever-involving, how the COVID-19 pandemic will change the workforce. So, Michelle, what do you think? Will there be significant changes after the world recovers from COVID-19 in the workforce? You know, it's interesting. There's such a difference of opinion on this topic. There's no consistency in what, what we're predicting. I believe, yes. Now, interestingly enough, I don't believe the job that I hold currently will have to change significantly because as an essential business, we stayed open during the entire pandemic. So there was very little impact to our day-to-day operations. So I don't see a lot of impact to how we do business, but I do for the rest of the world. I mean, if you think about it, Um, For some people, entire organizations went from mass collections in an office to working in individual rooms, just like we are right now. Yeah. And I think um, some or many companies and businesses really struggled with that. You know, so I oversee um, global pieces of my organization and not everybody has laptops and not everybody drives to work. And so when you're thinking about people taking their big, bulky desktops and monitors onto a subway, right? I think that's just interesting how that day looked (laughs) in time when you look back. (laughs) You know, it is, um, we were able to, um, we were able to remove probably about 20, 25% of our people out of our locations to work from home. Um, But we had to literally, uh, do we called them loaner laptops? Um, we went because the same thing. They always worked from the office. They had a desktop, um, and our IT department spent almost a week and a half just trying to set up loaner laptops for people. We actually found there were a few people um, we had to help them secure internet at home um, because they just never bothered because everything they did was at work. Non-exempt employees who have never really had that perk or that benefit to work from different environments. Um, you kind of had to lay out what your day looked like to make sure they were successful. But what we found was really kind of impressive. I actually heard a comment from our CEO about a week and a half ago, um, and he was just thrilled at how he had gone from believing that it would have a terrible impact on the business to zero hiccups whatsoever. Um, so I think there's a way that we can do it to make it work, but um, it's going to change. Yeah, I don't know. You know, our organization, we've had a little bit of both. Um, for the most part, we've seen, uh, you know, an increase in productivity. I'm actually really curious for those individuals that end up do going back to the office in the household and the kids go back to daycare, if there could potentially be even more productivity from individuals working from home 
So, you know, mom works in the office, dad goes, you know, to his, his office at, at, uh, at the building or wherever, you know, that they may have. And then the kids go to daycare because right now everybody's confined in the same house with each other. And some people have studios, um, or, or smaller footprints in their house. So I think it's, uh, it's been a little bit more challenging. So we've had, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say for the most part, increased productivity, but then we've had individuals where they, it's just a struggle for them to work from home. And it's a struggle for multitude of reasons. I think because they have distractions, um, they're not used to working from home and and not everybody can work from home. I mean, there's so many factors you have to consider when you actually wake up every day and get ready for the day. And some people struggle with that. For sure, for sure. I, there are definitely some people that uh, reach out to me more times a day than they need to. I think it's just because they're missing some interaction. They're missing that camaraderie that happens in a face-to-face environment. Mm-hmm. The other reasons, though, that I think, you know, taking kind of that flexible work environment that I think it's going to have to continue, um, there are a number of schools and universities who have finally just called, called it for the year. They're like, we're not coming back, right? Which means that parents who are used to having summer camps or day schools that they can send their children to while they're at work, they're now all going to be either fighting for the same daycare slots um, and they're not going to get them. You know, obviously, at least this is what we found in South Carolina, daycare slots go first to first responders, because we, we want those folks, I mean, we need those folks to keep coming in, right? Doctors and nurses and, and uh, the police department, rescue, fire and ambulances, they get all those first slots, which means for the rest of the businesses, they have these children for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. What do you do about that? You know, how do you build an environment where half of your f- workforce has to come back? or can come back. Um, The other half you make exceptions for um, because they can't find daycare. Yeah, I think the essential businesses obviously are are critical. One of the things uh, the governor here in California wanted to make a point to do was open up daycare so that essential and non-essential employees can begin going back to work. That is the most critical and most concerned topic for people when they're when they're talking about starting to go back to work right yeah I think what I'm finding too is that a lot of parents I talk to there's still fear there's still fear that if they put their children in you know medical professionals keep saying that the young don't have symptoms in most cases the same way obviously there are exceptions to that but what the studies are telling us is that young people don't experience it the same way so a lot of the parents in my, my work environment are saying, but I don't want to put my child in that Petri dish of the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, how will I know they're not getting it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even where they do have those options, there's still a lot of fear around it. Yeah. And then you have companies like Google that just announced that uh, they're going to allow their workforce to work from home for the remainder of 2020, which is... right. Quite interesting because they literally have built their locations, their offices to make it 
so that employees can work hard, um, mm-hmm. sleep there if they wanted to, and really drive that engagement and camaraderie in the office. Right. And now pushing away from it, right? And you're going to have those people that are in a situation like Google is where they can get things done outside of the office. And I think what we're going to find is that puts pressure on other people that can't do that to come up with something. Uh, Because we're going to hear those things. We're going to hear things like, well, Google does it or, you know, those, those big conglomerates. So how does it, how does an HR team handle that pushback? You're not taking care of us. Like, like Google is taking care of their people. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. You know, the, the topic uh, for today is really talking through a new workforce and what that's mm-hmm. going to look like coming back from this. And there, it's going to be a long time. And like Google, yeah, there's going to be, they're, they're allowing for the next, you know, six months for six to seven months remaining this year at the very minimum, right. people to continue working from home. So they don't have to prepare for this for quite some time, but there's other companies that are preparing for this that are already getting the pushback. And there's so much fear out there um, and angst from the population on returning back to work. But uh, in the U.S., the government is, um, you know, very quick to move back um, into offices or into workforce. I know, you know, just this past week, week, two weeks, the, the last, you know, couple of weeks, I should say, the Governments have started to talk and have discussions about moving back into the workforce. Right. You know, some states like yours, South Carolina, Texas, have already began transitioning people back into the populations. Um, in Michigan, you know, the big three auto industry is starting this week. Um, and so there's so many factors going on that people are actually like in other states like California, where we're moving so slow, we're going to keep an eye out and identify. But California's put together office guidelines and manufacturing guidelines mm-hmm. um, and checklists to help people set those expectations when we're turning back to work. But I think a lot of it's going to have to deal with the HR department, leadership, and how they're going to interact. Are they going to allow for flexible work? Are they going to right. add more um, WebEx or Zoom to their um, incorporated meetings? Uh, what does that look like? You're absolutely right, you know, as far as um, flexible work schedules and where you make those exceptions and where you don't, there has to be that clear guidance. You know, one of the things that, that I've said a lot within the HR team where I work is we are not infectious disease experts. We are not medical professionals. The only thing we can really do is follow the guidance from those people that are. And, you know, just like you're saying, in California with workforce reentry, we have that as well. Particularly, uh, South Carolina has a lot of manufacturing. And so the South South DHEC worked with uh, the South Carolina Manufacturing Association to put back what you can do to come in play or to, to phase back into work. One of those things are just like with all of the world is to phase back slowly um, so that you can watch what happens when we do start to bring people in. So we are busting out in three phases. The first phase, probably going to last about three to four weeks because we know that whatever actually, based, we don't know this, but the scientists tell us this, 
the scientists have told us <laughs> that it could be 14 days for people to show symptoms if they are contagious. Um, and so we know that you know, what happens on Monday of the first week back, we may not actually see the results of that for one or even two weeks. So we have to monitor that. We have to have people ready. One of the things I think was incredibly hard for the workforce, no matter how much you communicated, was the changes. You know, if you think about, this has been what, seven, we're working on, this will be coming up eight weeks now, Mm -hmm. where there's been some kind of mass control within most states. And it changed, you know, like we've gone from thinking it's 14 days for everything to having studies that tell us, you know, how long it lasts on cardboard versus how long the virus lasts on stainless steel or a hard product, knowing that it doesn't last on food. And every time that those scientists or infectious disease experts learn something new, it changes the policies, the protocols, or the procedures within every organization. Um, So one of the things that I think, uh, whether you are going to be Google and stay at home for the rest of the year, or just have some flexibility in your policies, we will spend the rest of 2020 with um, mass amounts of communication. I think that has to be incredibly different because of the fear and anxiety around the situation. I have seen situations where people are communicating every week during this process or even every few days. And I suspect that will need to continue until we have the reassurance that COVID-19 is no longer a significant problem for the country. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, Most businesses are going to their people resources or human resources leaders to create the return to work plan or the evolving plan of what the new workforce looks like. And we all of a sudden have to be the experts in how we go back to being uh, amongst one another. Whereas, you know, like you mentioned, we have to listen to infectious disease doctors. I am more educated on state law and infectious disease information than I want to be or that I need to be. But at this point, that's the role of human resources at this point is we have to be the experts. We have to listen very closely to what most of the experts are saying and and try to find some hidden agendas because here here's the issue too is a lot of people leaders of organizations businesses are finding themselves with empty real estate that they're paying on right now so what does our future look like is it no more real estate for businesses anymore like what's what is you know or you know look at just how many companies were able to adapt to no customers coming in their building. And while, yes, they all took a hit, right? They all found a way to survive and keep some money coming in. So maybe that future is less... I don't know that I like that world. I kind of like... I like picking up the clothes that I want to try on. (laughs) And I do all my... Okay, I do a lot of shopping online. But not all of it. I like that interaction of going into a bookstore, touching a book and feeling a book. But we sort of changed 
changed that protocol for almost two months now. Yeah, before then, I was getting pretty upset with the world for buying online, specifically, you know, with one specific place that might rule the world. Specifically, you know, with retail and clothing specifically, because I have to try on my jeans and I just can't. I mean, I did it. I tried it. Mm -hmm. I bought like six pair of jeans from Nordstrom and I'm going to return over half of them. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's annoying because now the box has been sitting on my counter waiting for me to send and return it back instead of me just going in really quick, doing the same try on. But I don't, I don't know how people buy clothes. Yeah. Me either. Because I'm with you, like the box will sit in the corner for so long that the return has expired for me half the time. And it's so frustrating. And then I end up with stuff that was wrong or, yes, I get it's convenient. You put a label on it and you send it back. It just isn't really that convenient. Um, so yeah. money invested in stuff that I can't use um, or I don't want. So I'm the same way. I Shoes are a big one for me. I want to wear them. I want to know what they're going to feel like. Can't do shoes online. I just can't do it. <laughs> um, and yet, I probably bought some in the last two months online. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, I mean, what does this look like, you know, in a, um, in an ever-changing world from what are things going to look like in the next three to six months? What are we as HR leaders or just leaders listening in, all you listeners, considering doing differently? Because if you look back um, in the U.S. in 2008, 2009, we had S1N1, which was the, I think it was the swine flu. Mm -hmm. And it affected over 60 million people, 18,000 deaths. And um, it lasted about 12 months. And this could last the same, if not longer. And there's more fear, I think, around this one. It became more a lot more fear, yeah. Global pandemic than a, a right. localized pandemic. It's also completely different when the president of your country declares a state of emergency. You know, I don't, for people that know what that actually means, it's like, wow, this isn't something that just happens frequently. And so for someone to say we're in a state of emergency and then to, to completely change how government works or have the power to change how it works, puts some more fear into it. It puts a level of seriousness into it that I don't know that we have even with, you know, I can remember living in Dallas during Ebola. Um, And I remember that Dallas had one of the first cases in the United States. One of the first, I can't remember exactly how it played out, but I was kind of aware, but I don't know. I don't remember ever being truly afraid. I think I was completely freaked out and how you died from it. But I don't remember like being afraid to go into a store and pick up something that I wanted to purchase. And this time, that's what we've done. Uh, there are literally, all, you know, all the, all the emergency signs on the road that um, announce if a child has been stolen or traffic timing and stuff like that. Like you pass every single sign and it says, do your part, save the world, stay home. So we've, we've built this fear that the only way you live 
is to stay away from people. And now imagine I was not someone that stayed at home for the past eight weeks. I did have some work from home days. um, And I had a period of about a week and a half where it was mostly work from home. But for the most part, I've been going back into an office. Um, But if you are someone who has had Fox or CNN playing in the background all day long while you're working and you're constantly hearing those stay-at-home, save-the-world messages, how do you now just come back to those people and say, hey, come back to work now. Sorry about your luck. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've been in the office. Um, My routine hasn't changed any. So I get up. uh, I used to work when we worked at FedEx together. I used to work um, remotely in the L&D department. And I was constantly working from home and it was fantastic. I was the most efficient because I didn't necessarily, you know, get distracted by the day-to-day conversations and dialogue that happens in an office, which I ended up doing my last year with FedEx as I moved to Dallas and I worked in the office and all those day-to-day distractions happen in an open environment. And so, you know, one of the things I, I do and I make sure that I have been doing is I wake up, brush my teeth, put on clothes fully clothed, not just half PJs, half fancy top. Shut up. I know you're talking about me right now. (laughs) I'm talking about most listeners. Listen, the back of my hair is still wet. (laughs) Only front half. That's how people are doing. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It is crazy. But that's that's all that needs to be done, right? Just waist up. That's what you Um, think, yes. That's what I think. Mm. It's in trouble. What do you mean by that? Ah, so, you know, it's interesting. Uh, People make a lot of mistakes when it comes to a work at home environment. You know, I think um, some of the good ones, I think it starts from a good place. You go, let me throw on a load of laundry before I plug in for the day. And then eventually it becomes just dry the front of your hair and not the back of your hair. (laughs) Because all they see is from here up. I could be wearing bunny slippers right now. Um, I'd show them to you, but then I would have to confirm that that's a true statement. <laughs> going to, I could be wearing pajama pants and bunny slippers. Yeah, could be. Uh-huh. But I think what that does, it starts to change the level of seriousness that you place in your work time. So now even more than do, just doing the laundry, or putting on a load of clothes, you start intermingling what your weekends look like. Mm-hmm. If you're um, like me and you're a weekend lounger, it starts to become an everyday. Uh, we actually have jokes that we don't even refer to it as the day of the week anymore. We just call it, it's a day. What day is it? Day. Ends with day. Um, so what used to be like a Sunday rest all day has now become an every day. Uh, kind of lazy mood. Yeah, I'm noticing, you know, uh, my um, peers and and direct reports in the UK, um, you know, because they're completely in isolation. Their government, their government has told them that you should snitch on anybody that leaves their house. Like it's wow. it's intense. Which we did that in LA. Um, uh, it's very a very controversial you topic. Ever right? Snitch on anyone. Snitches get stitches. Let's be okay. Real. Good. Just jacking. I'm just jacking. 
go, go do you enjoy your park run three more times a day. I don't care. As long as you don't bother me, I don't care. Right. (laughs) But yeah, you know, I, I think there's a right way of working from home and there is a wrong way from working from home. And you, you know, there's, there's all these pieces like you laid out where again, it could be impactful in a positive way or an opportunistic way, depending on how long you go about it. You know, like Google, you know, they're announcing, you know, up till 2020. Well, if you still got your kids in there and they're screaming in the background while you're trying to take a call, not ideal. And then your days start blending together if you don't get up and do routines and have some of those pieces. You know, I got so lost in my day when I worked from home back in the day where it would be seven o'clock at night. And I'm like, did I brush my teeth? Did I eat? I ate anything today. You got to work. I completely agree. You know, I think in a lot of cases, if you're someone that your job requires you to go into a place, so, you know, if you are a first responder, if you are working in in manufacturing essential environment where you have to go to work because of the, the type of work that you do, it's easy to start to think that work from home is all about slacking. One of the other things that happens when that blend happens, and I'll tell you for that week and a half that I was solely at home, this was my life. I actually, um, I had friends and family that would call me and they would be like, they would usually text or call around two or two or three o'clock. They'd be like, did you even eat yet? And usually the answer was no. Usually it was, I rolled out of my bed, put on something nice, shirt up, sat in front of my desk. I do have a space in an office um, so that I can be separate. And I sit here all day and all night. And on most of those days, I was here from the time the sun rose until it was getting dark outside. And I started to realize I'm not walking away. So even if, you know, even when you find those people that take advantage of that, I don't have to take shower or I don't have to put on real clothes or makeup or outside the house clothes. What you usually find with those people is that what used to be an eight, nine, 10 hour work week or work day is becoming a nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 hour work day. And I know that, so my particular job, I believe is an exception to the rule. Um, as you know, in HR, you've got to be there to handle emergencies when they happen. Um, so taking my personal job out of the equation, I see it with other people working from home. I did it when I was in learning and development and not HR as well, uh, where I would literally just roll out, probably not brush my teeth, probably didn't, because you can't smell it on Zoom. It's okay. And then go until it was dark and you were hungry enough that you realized it. So yeah, my family, every day, they'd be like, should we drop something off at your door? Got people dropping off care packages because they know I didn't step away from the computer to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, for me, I look forward to the weekends because I'm actually in an office on the day to day. So I have my routine going. So I absolutely adore my Saturday and Sundays. And it's actually a true day off for me um, where I can really, well, for the most part, but um, you know, where I, where I know I'm at home, it's a change of environment. I have different expectations. I go run my errands. Mm -hmm. 
but I've created that routine and it's going to be interesting trying to pull people back into the workforce and recreate that routine for them. I think it's going to be harder to get people back into the offices. You know, I know a lot of people that are dying to hug someone right now, right? shake a hand or just be in the presence of somebody. And studies have shown from a psychological standpoint that increases the natural hormones that you need to increase your happiness and reduce anxiety and all those pieces. So how do we as businesses try to incorporate some of that by also keeping this I hate the word social distance, but physical right. distancing that we need to to be successful. And and part of the the pieces we're putting together too is, you know, having every third desk or you know cube yes. uh, open for you know. And again, same as you guys, every thirty days. But then we're also closing down conference rooms. We're closing down right. break rooms. You can't touch right. a fridge. You can't touch you know the ice machine because your hand mm-hmm. goes in the scooper. So there's all those pieces that we're considering that employees also might think that we are taking things away from them or they have their rights or it's going to be very interesting. It's funny, even even when you add stuff uh, that you feel would be positive to people without the right communication, it layers on extra fear as well. So Early on, very early on, within the first week of actually California, I think California was one of the first states to shut down. Within that week, even our locations in South Carolina, we started adding extra, um, extra precautions. We actually hired external organizations to come in with hospital-grade disinfectant to clean every single common area and every single... Um, multi-touch surfaces. So every single, like these people never stop cleaning because right about the time that they get around, they have to start doing the rounds again. Uh, We clean break rooms, we clean bathrooms, we clean doorknobs. In some places we have closed doors to keep or isolate because we are manufacturing and we are regulated by the FDA. And so we tried to isolate that GMP area a little bit more. Um, and then in other places, like within the GMP area, we tried to open up the doors so no one had to touch um, a door to get to their destination. So we made sort of those decisions based on guidance from the, the CDC and the Department of Health. But even adding hourly cleaning, we had people coming up going, what the heck's going on? Is something wrong? What's the problem? And we're like, nothing's wrong and we want to keep it that way. Um, But anytime that communication doesn't happen before the change is implemented, I think you, you lay the groundwork for people to say they fill in the blanks, right? Um, And so if that person is currently driven by fear, they're going to fill in the blanks with fear. If that person is someone who maybe suspects that this isn't as big a deal as we're all making it, they probably just go, hey, cool, I'm going to be guaranteed to have clean sinks. Go team. But that's, that's that increased communication has got to happen. So removing the scoops from the ice or keeping people from touching the refrigerator and putting their food that they're used to in there, all of that stuff has to come with a message or people will decide what the message is. 
So as Michelle mentioned, there are obvious uh, pieces in an organization that we have to consider. So for you listeners, I think it's really important for you to understand essentially what the critical tips or pieces are that you need to focus on when coming back into the workforce. And Michelle mentioned communication. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on that piece? Absolutely. So whether you've realized it or not, it is a true statement that people will not move forward unless they understand the story, right? Some of our favorite books are about telling the story. And if you don't tell them the story, they're going to fill in the blanks. So whatever you're going to implement, whatever you're going to change, whatever policy or procedure you might take away, whether you're giving something to people or taking it away from people, you've got to talk about the change before it happens. Um, and that way people understand why it's coming, why it's happening. The second thing is people only act when they feel like they have the whole story. So whether you are putting some new policy or procedure in place or taking something away from people, if you haven't started by telling them why, they're going to try to figure out why you're doing it, right? Um, and we want to make sure they understand it from the right perspective. So communicate prior to any change in policies, procedures, or patterns of work. Make sure they know about it. Create a cadence of communication that people can count on. Pick a day. Every Monday, something comes out. Every Friday, whatever that is for your organization. You also want to change up the medium in, in which you communicate. It might be email. It might be infographics or signs around the building, maybe face-to-face, socially distanced, via Zoom, or it could be just a video that you record. Um, But using different formats to demonstrate the message will grab the attention of people versus seeing a letter over and over again. Um, So for me, those are some big tips. Communicate often, communicate before it happens, and communicate with consistency. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Those are all huge pieces. And communication is a huge piece throughout the next... I I think it's ongoing, right? I think that we talk a lot about reasons people leave organizations. Communication is usually one of them, um, mostly from their leader, lack thereof communication. But, um, you know, other pieces that uh, are or tools that you'll need to understand um, in returning back to the workforce and continuously working back is uh, making sure we have empathy and and patience uh, within the organization. You're going to have to understand that we have an extended level of angst and fear amongst the population that, you know, let's, let's be fair. Some of it was uh, a little over communicated that way. And, and some of it, you know, is just understandable. And we as people leaders need to understand that. But at the same time, there's going to be a multitude of areas you need to focus on as a tool because you're going to have individuals who are going to cough or sneeze. And then all of a sudden, right, your communication pieces that you created before are important, but then your understanding in that moment in your human resources department is what's going to allow you to focus moving forward on those pieces of individuals, understanding why someone's, you know, yelling at somebody and trying to alleviate or diffuse that conversation, but at the same time, having patience for others around you, yourself, leaders throughout this whole process, because 
there are going to be days where you go into the office. And I'm sure there are days now where you're in the office where, gosh, your patience with your new coworkers at, at your house or your new office or, you know, is a little bit, uh, you know, short and you're trying to increase your patience more and more. But now there's going to be a different type of patience that you'll just have to understand. It might be frustration that you have with bringing people back in and then sending them back home again. And that's a whole nother level of patience. Mm -hmm. Or there's, you know, patience amongst each other where you all have controversial thoughts on how to bring people back into the office or how to sustain things uh, moving forward. And so those are all pieces from a from an understanding and a guidance perspective as, as leaders you need to move forward with in the most appropriate and respectful position. Yeah. It's interesting from, a, from that, that place of patience and um, empathy, you might have had to demonstrate some empathy for people who have lost a loved one or maybe are experiencing a disease for themselves. Uh, but typically in our world, we empathize with people who don't have enough money or can't fund childcare. And the world right now is in flight or fight mode because they are afraid of their lives, right? So it's a different level of fear that our employees are coming to us with. And when they're hearing that message, like you said, they're hearing that message over and over again. This isn't about you know, a spouse walking out on them or um, their child being suspended from school, in their minds, we are talking about their lives. And so that's going to increase the fear. It's going to increase probably some resentment when you're not doing the things right that you need to be doing. Um, so keep that in mind when you're talking to people. I think one of the last ones is flexibility. Um, and I think you're going to have to find flexibility in places that you might not have been prepared for. Um, as a manufacturing organization, the idea of working from home is a super foreign concept. So yeah, our CEO was totally surprised that we managed it without a, without a hiccup, most of it, right? But I don't think it's just flexibility in what that policy may be. You may have to put in some flexibility around attendance, around pay. You might have people that some people, they say it's, it could take up to a month to fully recover if they have COVID-19 to truly get their lungs back to their pre-COVID state. And they're actually saying in some cases that may never even happen depending on how severe it was. So we could be talking about a long leave for people. You want to make sure you're looking at those policies and procedures. You've got to also look at how you handle stuff that you probably wouldn't have even paused about before. Like, I don't have daycare. In the past, I guarantee, but most leaders were like, that's not my problem. It's the world's problem right now because no one has daycare. We've created an environment where there's no place for these kids to go except for home. So if you have um, employees that don't have family, don't have friends, they're the caregivers um, and you're going to have to find a way to work around that. So look at your policies and procedures and figure out where you need to adapt them to make them work in this environment. 
Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, policies, procedures, that's what every um, person should be working on right now, but it should be evolving and constantly modify to tailor towards the um, items that come up. Obviously, legal is going to be very opposed to the comment that I just made because it should be black and white and it should be consistent. And of course, as an organization, you constantly have to evolve your policies to your business. So yes, I am arguing with every legal person listening on this call because you can tweak things and you can get it out to the population and have them understand and sign off on it electronically or whatever organizations do to make sure that their population understands it. So I think those are big factors that you need to consider. Yep. So I think if you focus on those three, start by looking at your policies, procedures, create some flexibility, make sure you're communicating often, 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 um, and approach this from a place of humanity. Um, I think those are your big tips. Um, If you're still struggling to find out what or how to do those things. Um, And then Maria's comment about legal. Now you're like, oh no, do I need to call a legal person? Um, You know what? Reach out to us at support at realtalent.com and we will guide you uh, to what you need to make this re-entry successful for your organization. So as the world is changing into something very different, um, because I do believe it will be different, Like you said, this could last 12 to 18 months. So it'll at least be different for the next year, right? What are some resources? Well, I would say, you know, make sure we, you know, just tools, people, obviously your networking is always some resources that you can leverage. LinkedIn, uh, phenomenal. You can take a look at articles, but also books, right? So um, one of the books, obviously, that I think that'll go well with, today's podcast uh, that I've had an opportunity to read through is called Work Rules by Laszlo Bach. It talks about the insights in Google and how they manage their day-to-day and how they navigate through things. And, you know, obviously Google is a very work hard, not play hard type of organization, um, you know, with all of their sleep pods or nap pods. Um, But they focus on their people and they make sure they instill the right rules and values within their organization. So I would recommend for those listening on this podcast today to check out that book. Phenomenal book. And it really targets through what Google's doing today, right? We're just allowing their workforce to continue for the next six to seven months, right? Uh, It'll be almost all of 2020 that they will allow their workforce to work from home. So I encourage you all to read that book. Nice. I'm with you. You know, uh, you could get a ton of resources on LinkedIn. I am a big fan of going straight to the CDC or the Department of Health. Find some great resources there. Um, Maria and I, Maria has actually navigated through multiple epidemics or pandemics in this particular case in the HR department. So um, here at Real Talent, just reach out to us. We've got some incredible resources for you. I'm a big fan of taking opportunities where they lie. I do believe that the workforce can be more flexible, more adaptive, um, and that there can be some great balance like um, places like Google have found. And one of my favorite books, so actually I'm going to back up a little bit. I hate buzzwords more than anything else in the world, but I'm going to use one right now. I'll use it again. It's the buzzword of disruption. It's because it's overused and it's not actually done 
correctly. That's when those buzzwords get really annoying is that everybody's using them. I'm going to disrupt the world and people don't actually disrupt anything. One of my favorites is a book called Originals. Um, and it, it does talk a little bit about, it is by Adam Grant, it does talk a little bit about um, disruption or creative thinkers, people who go beyond what is in place today. But the great thing about this book is it pushes you to how to implement them and put those changes into action and truly be a disruptor, right? So it's actually called Originals, How Nonconformists Move in the World. And if you think about it, we are a world full of people who like the status quo. And so it makes out-of-the-box thinkers really uncomfortable. But the reality is, this is a super uncomfortable time. It's very serious, not trying to make light of it. But we do have an opportunity to have richer, better discussions about people relations in our workforce. So I encourage this for everyone, whether you are in HR or not. But if you are in HR, people are listening to you right now because of the knowledge that you have. Now is the time to really push or propel your people agenda forward. Um, So that book can give you some great tips to do it. Last note around our recommendations, we are not paid by anyone. These are truly just books that we appreciate. We align with them. Whether it's one really great message or the entire book was a great message, it's just things that has have resonated with us. Um, and so we're sharing them with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we are not paid spokespeople. That would be nice, actually, I would think. No, would. We'll take actually. Any- If you want us to read your book and talk about it online, all about it, love to read. We'll read it. We can't, um, we, we can't confirm or deny if we won't be controversial about it. So we all have different ideas as you've heard on our last podcasts. Um, so yeah, that's just our, our little cue there, but, uh, will the workforce be different? Who knows? We have no idea. That's the magical question of the day or of the year. At the end of the day, changes in the workforce will only occur with a collective decision of or on that change. And think about the people in your organization. Do they have the influence to uh, to really encourage the most of the employees to join their change, whether it's people leaders, departments, individual contributors, We've clearly learned work can be done in so many different ways and be successful. We've seen the entrepreneurial spirit help certain people continue to be successful. And people have made instant pivots and changes within their organization. And they have pushed the envelope and really made the best out of the worst situation. Our challenge to you, can you use this forced situation to make positive change in your workforce reach out to us at realtalent.com if you need really help driving that change i want to thank michelle today for bringing the truth to this conversation and joining us during um, this segment to really talk through how we can really help both essential and non-essential businesses so we will talk to you soon listeners have a great day